You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, kind of part two of a, of a message that we started uh, two weeks ago. Remember in uh, 1803, U.S. President Thomas Jefferson sent Lewis and Clark to explore the Louisiana Purchase uh, to find a water passage uh, from the east coast to the west coast, which turned out didn't exist. And it was a lot of ground to cover. It was 828,000 square miles. That was the Louisiana Purchase. Uh, 530 million acres, and not a bad buy, by the way. Who wouldn't want 640 acres for 18 bucks, right? That's what it was per square mile, $18. You can actually hike 3,100 miles of this of this great divide that splits this Louisiana Purchase, and uh, or its own part of it. And uh, but the, the itself, the 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 divide itself, the is 6,745 miles long. Hence, the great divide. And it's a picture, a beautiful picture to me of the grace divide between the reign of the flesh and the reign of the spirit. Water on one side of the mountain falls one way and water on the other falls the other. And two weeks ago, we saw the bad news first, right? Because one side of the grace divide is the desires of the flesh. We fight it every day, don't we? Defeats us, kicks our tail every day. (laughs) But praise God, it's not the only side. Amen? Uh, there's another side that we're going to look at today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. All right? There's a whole lot of them. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to ask Tom McDougall to ask God's blessing on our message today. Is it on? Yeah, it's on. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are most grateful to be able to worship today with friends and family here at Piperton Baptist Church. And we also want to thank and recognize the fact that uh, we have a great preacher and his guidance and friendship is greatly appreciated. Most of all, we ask for forgiveness for my sins while we search on the path to eternal salvation. Salvation which can only be granted by our continued commitment to the belief that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross and rose from the dead for our sakes. Amen. 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 Thank you, Tom. Well, I know you may be tired of Galatians, but there's still got a little little bit of grace left in it. And uh, last week we saw the side of the flesh. That's the bad news. First, we had identification. And that was where we, uh, two weeks ago, sorry. Uh, 
ambiguity, we saw that ambiguity isn't a safe hiding place for your sins. You know, we can be generic, real generic about our sins because we don't want to put our fingers on any one of them in particular. But we must identify our sin. That's part of the reason for the sin list in the first place. Then we saw the content of the sin list and we, uh, through classifications, there were four categories we, that were mentioned, sensual sins, religious, social, and alcohol-related sins. And then third was ramification. Those who practice sin, as in like a pattern of life, reveal their spiritual state, that they're not born of God, they don't have the Holy Spirit, and they're not true, God's true children. I'm not the one telling you you're saved or not, but God's Word does lay those things out because fruit production always walks hand in hand with flesh reduction. Amen. And so we, we need to uh, recognize that. That's the bad news. The side of the flesh, praise God. The other side is the spirit, what we're going to talk about today and next week. And uh, it doesn't take but a casual reading of the text that we just read, you know, all those sins, choppy 15 sins thrown in there. And then you read the fruits of the spirit. And there's a big difference, not just in the meaning of the words, obviously, but I mean in the way it's read. One scholar said, the listing of the sinful acts uh, in the, and y'all listen, y'all forgive these, these, these glasses. They were the only ones left in my desk. So if you ever want to uh, get me a gift, y'all can buy me glasses because I'll lose them about once every two weeks, all right? I left the last pair in India, I guess. All right. One scholar said, the listing of the sinful acts in the catalog of evil, which we just read, was disorderly, chaotic, and incomplete, corresponding to the random and compulsive character of sin itself. But now in stark contrast, the character traits contained in the catalog of grace appear in beautiful harmony, balanced and symmetrical, corresponding to the purposeful design and equilibrium of a life filled with the Spirit and lived out in the beauty of holiness. Church, that's one of the reasons this, it's such an easy song to sing. If you grew up in church or been in VBS, you know that song, Fruits of the Spirit's not a coconut. What is it? Is it coconut? Look, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sing it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Only a pre preacher could make it choppy. All right? So one list is choppy and ugly, and the other list is smooth and beautiful. Fruitfulness won't earn salvation, but it certainly proves real faith, all right? And that's what we're talking about today. And some noted that Paul here doesn't mention spiritual gifts, right? He's talking about all these fruits of the Spirit. But why didn't he mention spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongues and all these other things that are mentioned in the New Testament, right? Teaching, service, acts of service. Why aren't those things mentioned here, all right? They also come from the Spirit. They're also proofs of spiritual life. And we believe those gifts existed in the Galatians. Remember back in Galatians 3.15, I mean 3 verse 5, it said, Paul said, the Spirit works miracles among you. So I believe one of the reasons that Paul doesn't mention spiritual gifts in this passage is because fruits of the Spirit can't be simulated, right? But gifts of the Spirit can. And one of Paul's best arguments and distinctions of law versus grace is the genuine, non-fakeable reality of our relationship with Jesus. You can't fake that. <laughs> Which is a good and bad thing, right? Matthew 7, 22 says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? There's a gift. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. 
depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So that makes this list, this fruit list, a little special, right? Because it's like a spiritual polygraph, right? So just hook yourself in this morning. It's a, it's a spiritual polygraph for our relationship with Jesus. Wearsby explains it's one thing to overcome the flesh and not do evil things, but quite something else to do good things. The legalist might be able to boast that he's not guilty of adultery or murder, whoop-de-doo. But can anyone see the beauty, beautiful graces of the Spirit in his life? Negative goodness is not good enough in a life. There must be positive qualities as well. So, just like two weeks ago, we're going to identify these fruits, all right? Identification. Fifteen sins Paul lists, but he only lists nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I think it's pretty easy to make out at least three categories, three categories of three fruits each in this. The first three are internal habits of the heart, the mind, the soul, right? As in our outward attitude toward God. And that's what we're going to focus on today. The second three are external. They're expressions of internal habits, like in our social lives and dealing, dealings with other people. And then third, the final three are eternal expressions, basically of completing the work that God started in us. Internal, external, eternal. Stott described this list as a cluster of nine Christian graces that portray the believer's attitude to God, to other people, and to himself. Right? So let's start with group one. That's the internal. And the first of these is love. Love. Preachers love to speak about love. Right? But we need to speak about love just because some people abuse that, that uh, fruit and preach on it maybe too much doesn't mean we shouldn't preach on it at all. Matter of fact, in the Bible, I want to say two things here about this word. One is that it's frequent in Paul's writings and throughout the New Testament. It's the word agape. Y'all know, y'all have heard of the word agape. He uses the noun and its verb, I think, 109 times in the New Testament. 75 of those are used for the noun, love, and the other 34 are used for uh, agapao, its verb form, which means to show love, right? It's frequent in all his writings, which we need to make note of things that are frequently told in Scripture. It only has to be told once, but if it's told a lot, you need to take extra note. And then the second thing is really what I want to talk about is, it, is the fact that, that love of all the, all the fruits of the Spirit, and that this is an exhaustive list. These are just the ones Paul chose to, to mention. But love is at the front of Paul's fruit list. Remember a few weeks back, we, looked, we, we talked about the word opportunity, as in opportunity for the flesh. And how that word literally can mean, in a negative sense, a base station, a base of operations from which all your other sins are committed. You know, I have this excuse for sinning, this base of operations. It's my opportunity for the flesh. Well, love, in a positive sense, is also a base of operation for a multitude of fruit. All right? It's not just the spring from which all fruit flows. It's, as one scholar put it, the source and foundation from which all the other graces flow. Before love is the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer, it's the underlying disposition and motivating force in God's bringing us salvation, creation, incarnation, and atonement. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God who needs nothing loves into existence creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe already seeing the buzzing cloud of flies around the stench of the cross. 
the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the nerves of Christ's hands, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops on the cross, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. This is the diagram of love, the inventor of all loves. We've too often reserved Paul's a passage in 1 Corinthians 13 for weddings. I've read this at many weddings. We need to read it more. It's the biblical definition of this word. Galatians 5, if I speak in the tongues of men, I, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Friend, I can't even stand to hear a little tick in the house. Just want to punch somebody right now, don't you? Well, that's what you are if you don't show love. Doesn't matter what you do. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, well, whoop-de-doo. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am Nothing. If I give all, I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It's, it, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Think about this, church. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 12, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Did you know you're fully known and loved by God? Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. There is no attribute of Christ that doesn't pass through the gateway and motive of God's love. Why would Paul put this at the front of Galatians 5.22 in his fruit list, right? Why in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 would he talk about being fully known in the Bible's most epically specific definition of love? I'll tell you why. Because the proper definition of the word agape, listen to this church, if you don't hear anything else today, is a love which centers in moral preference. Did you know that you are, if you're a believer, you are morally preferred by God? What does that mean? It's the ancient verb form, agape, which literally meant to prefer so tell me, how on earth could God morally prefer you and me, wretched sinners? How does that work? I'll tell you how it works. <laughs> because through repentance and faith, we've been washed in the spotless blood of the Lamb of God. We were as dirty, you know, I've been traveling and you go to hotel rooms, they're not always clean. You know, they got those black lights, show the dirt. We were as dirty as an unwashed hotel sheet. Yeah, that gets it a little bit. But listen, now you can hold the black light of God's holiness up against that stain and there's nothing there. All you're going to see is Jesus and his grace. It's spotless. 
And as if uh, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't a clear enough definition of love, God takes all of that definition and applies it to himself in 1 John 4, 8, where he says, anyone who does not love God, uh, does not love, does not know God, because God is love. He didn't invent it. He didn't look at someone being loving and go, well, you know what? That sure is a nice thing that he did. That sure is loving. I'm going to be like that. He's not like that. He is that. God even uses his own name and the word love interchangeably in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 10, which talks a lot about fruitfulness. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Nobody gets off the hook, you know. You're either getting pruned or taken. That it may bear more fruit. That's his desire for us. Already you're clean because of the word. Just so you know, if you're a believer, you're already clean because of the word of God that you've received. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's crazy how Paul repeatedly links fruit and love to himself. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father's loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. There it is. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There are zero fruitful attributes or attitudes or actions that God allows to bypass love as if some holy, unholy detour could get us to the same location by another way. It's impossible. There's no fruit that doesn't pass down the road of God's love. Love is frequent. And it's out front in the list of all these nine fruits. Remember that, friend. Second is joy. Love, joy. This is the word kara. Same root word as charis, where we get our word grace, ironically. And in our culture today, uh, we, we like to use the word joy and happiness kind of interchangeably. And if that's the case, if joy is a close synonym to happiness, then according to a recent study, uh, you can actually buy it. You know, you used to say you can't buy me love, you can't buy me happiness, you know. But you can, according to a study done by Princeton University, found that higher pay translated to increased happiness up to $75,000. <laughs> After that benchmark, money had no effect on happiness according to the study because your, your basic needs are already met. You may have more money, but you've got to deal with more stuff the more money you get. You've got to complain about all those people who want it. <laughs> but I assure you, joy and happiness, they may seem related at the surface, but they're different. Happiness depends on circumstances. Joy does not. Even if you make less than 75 grand, you can be happy happiest people I know in the world make much less than that. <laughs> they live right here in Memphis. Actually, forms of the word joy were a common greeting yeah, for early Christians. Matthew 28, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings, joy, 
right? It didn't, wasn't just at Christmas. I bring you glad tidings of great joy that a, that a Savior is coming. It was in the New Testament throughout. What if next Sunday when we uh, shook hands, you just looked at each other and said, joy, joy. Just look at now. People think you're crazy. You've lost your mind, especially if they weren't here this week. It might be hard to explain. So just look around. If, if they're here, then you can say it. What or rather who is the source of joy? Joy is, it's an attribute derived from actually multiple names of God. It doesn't just say that God gave it. It says of Philippians 3.1, finally my brothers rejoice. That's the word joy, joy in the Lord. Romans 5.11, more than that, we also rejoice in God. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Joy of the Lord, rejoice in God, joy of the Holy Spirit. Listen, friend, joy does not have an earthly birthplace because joy is divine. So if you want to judge the kind of joy you have against the filter of God's word, it's the kind of joy, if you have the kind of joy that's man-made, then it's not the kind of joy we're talking about this morning. Do you understand that? That's not what we're talking about. And make no mistake, I don't care how much bad TV evangelists talk about joy and how much God wants to bless you, and they talk about it so much that we act like we don't want it, but it is for your, you to have. God wants you to have his joy. And if you don't believe me, read John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, the words of Jesus, and that your joy may be full. One pastor defines joy here as a type of happiness based on unchanging divine promises and eternal spiritual realities. The sense of well-being experienced by one who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. By the way, he's not the man upstairs. He's holy. You better take off your shoes at the burning bush. You're standing on holy ground. It's not the result of favorable circumstances. Joy even occurs when circumstances are at the most painful and most severe. Look at John 16, verse 20. And it, it, joy is a gift from God. And by the way, because it's a gift, we shouldn't and can't try to manufacture it. We should delight in the blessings we already possess. If you're missing joy, it's because you, you don't even know what's under your nose. You don't even know what's in your heart, believer. Joy is an inward peace and sufficiency that isn't tripped up by external circumstances. It's, it's been called uh, holy optimism, but I'd take it a step further and call it a holy certainty. I'm not optimistic about it. I'm certain. And if we're not careful... Christians, we will speak and we will live and we will pray as if God is just always mad. Some of y'all think of God as always mad at you. Like he's mad, like he's an impatient parent who hates you and is annoyed by you. Friend, that is a lie from the devil. Now he will judge your sin, right? But what parent wouldn't stop their kid from running out in front of a car? That's the discipline of the Lord for your life, not because he's angry and upset with you. That's one of the worst, that's one of the most often thought of things about God. He's just always mad. Look at all his rules. Look at all, you know, 
I can't do anything bad and get away with it. Well, yeah, that's because he loves you. One scholar said Christian joy is marked by celebration and expectation of God's ultimate victory over the powers of sin and darkness. A victory actualized already in the death and resurrection of Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy. Joy took Jesus to the cross. Do you understand that? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. But now he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father from where he will come in power and great glory. The joyful cry of the believer is Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. Right? Friend, I'm going to tell you something. I feel the temptation in my soul. And I know you feel it too. And more and more as the days grow wicked. And it's the temptation to leave joy somewhere. Like on vacation. Leave it after a dinner table when I'm full. Leave it after a romantic kiss with my wife. Leave it at a deer stand or a golf course or a shopping spree checkout line. But friend, joy is more than a moment. Joy is the hope of eternity, the hope of never dealing with sin again. The hope of being with Jesus. It must be constantly set before us. Let me just ask you, church, what are you actively doing to pick it up and set it before you? And one thing is being here, prioritizing the body of Christ. That's one thing that will set joy before you. But what else? Are you walking daily in his word? Are you going to him constantly in prayer? Are you taking your decisions to him, your relationship with him, your conflict, your job? Set joy. If you're not actively setting, you'll be actively regretting and you'll turn into some politically angry, morally self-righteous, revenge-fueled God-hater. And I want to tell you, it's easy for Christians to do these days. It's easy for us to just sit around and be angry. And that's not God's will. There must be distinguishing characteristics of the believer, and one of them is joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that grows from the cultivation of our relationship with Jesus. And if you're not showing joy in your life, then something else is showing. <laughs> if your oil light's on, you best check, check it before you blow your engine up. When we lack joy, it's like a blinking caution light that tells us our relationship with Christ is, is off. We need to get it back in place. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the last of the free, uh, three fruits that I'm going to mention today is peace. If joy isn't based on the absence of suffering, which it's not, the absence of pain or circumstances, then peace is the same way, right? It's not based on the absence of conflict or war or strife or people who are unforgiving, Right? That's, not, that's not where peace lies. It's not the absence of something. One pastor described it as the inner calm that results from confidence in one's saving relationship with Christ. The verb form denotes binding together and is reflected in the expression having it all together. Peace is having it all together. Friend, you don't have to have all the world's expe expectations of you together to have it all together. Does that make sense? I can tell you right now, by God's grace, I think I have it all together. I don't have it all together, but I have it all together. You tracking? <laughs> Friday night, our, our team of six people split into two different flights home. Uh, Tony and Trish and Wilson were on one flight. By the way, their flight was ridiculous. They got delayed in London. They got, uh, someone lost their passport. Uh, matter of fact, uh, someone got arrested on their flight to Memphis. It wasn't one of our team. Praise God. 
Wouldn't be the first time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> then our team, our team, our three, me and Tim and Nate uh, Randall, uh, we, we flew home and we made it home pretty safe, but then we were, uh, you know, we had to go through immigration, recheck our luggage and all in Minneapolis. And then we were, and so Tim and Nate got hung up in the uh, security. That's another story for you. Um, but I will say you can't bring knives on trips, just so you know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they will confiscate them. That was confiscated in India. That's a whole other story. Anyway, he was still, they were still held up. And so I ran on head to the gate. And I'm like, the gate's right there. And I'm looking up this ramp, right, the gate where they're coming. I'm like, just hold the gate. They're coming. You know, I may or may not have lied. I don't remember. May have stressed the truth just a little. Is that them? It looks like them. Looks like them. Well, 30 seconds before they close the gate. 30 seconds, I see. Tim doesn't even have his belt on. I mean, he's running down the, sprinting down the gateway, you know, knocking old women over. It's just off. I'm just kidding. And, uh, but they were sprinting down the, the gateway and, and literally as they rounded the corner, they shut the gate. And once you shut that gate, it's done. There's no going back. So we had to sit around. It, we were, for about five minutes, we weren't very, very Christ-like in our attitudes, I'll have to confess. But after about five minutes of, of intervention, interventing with, it, with each other, God just reminded us that he's sovereign. And he has a plan, right? Even if it was to reset our sleeping clock, I don't know what, his, what all his plans were, but I don't have to know them all, right? I don't have it all together, but I worship a God who does. Praise God that he's got it all together so I can go to him. There is a peace that comes from God that doesn't revolve around our predicaments. Peace is a fruit of the spirit, so let peace be your predicament. It is the predicament that every Christian is in. Did you know that? You will one day never pay for your sins and be at eternal peace with God in heaven. Pretty good predicament, considering the ESV. As a matter of fact, uh, John 14, 27 says, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The ESV says the expression peace, which is Hebrew shalom, had a much richer connotation than the English word does since it conveyed not merely the absence of conflict or turmoil, but also the notion of positive blessing, especially in terms of a right relationship with God. This may be manifested most clearly amid persecution and tribulation. And that's how it is with all of these three gifts. They're more, they have more to do with our attitudes than our actions. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard us from what? What does peace guard us from? I mean, that sounds pretty pansy. Peace can guard you? Does peace carry a weapon? Is peace an alarm system? What is peace that it guards you? It guards us from a wrong attitude with God, toward God who sees all, knows all, and still loves you unconditionally. Wiersbe goes on to say, peace is God's gift to man achieved by him on the cross of Christ. It is peace with God, Romans 5.1. It's expressed, uh, it's, it expresses itself both in peace of mind, Philippians 4.6, and in a very practical peace between all those who know God. This latter peace should be seen as Barclay notes in the home, 1 Corinthians 7, between Jew and Gentile, Ephesians 2, within the church, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, and indeed in the relationship of the believer with all men, Hebrews 12, 14. Moreover, Christians are to strive for it, 1 Peter 3, 11. The importance of this word is evident from its frequent and extensive occurrence in the New Testament, 80 times and in every book. There's all kinds of 
fruit mentioned in the New Testament. Fruit of people one to Christ, we had that this week. Fruit of a holy life every now and then. Right? Fruit of gifts given to God, fruit of good works, fruit of praise, on and on it goes. But the fruit of the Spirit is more about character. We received the Holy Spirit. All those who've trusted in the name of Jesus have received the Holy Spirit at salvation, right? That's not what we're talking about. We receive gifts from the Spirit when we're saved to be displayed through the local church in service to Him. But that's not what we're talking about. We must display our character through the fruits of the Spirit. Have you checked the tree? <laughs> Have you looked behind you to see if there's fruit dropping off, right? You need fruit in your life. Not for judgment so people can judge you or not, but for your own soul. Jesus checked the fruit before and after the cross for the joy set before him, right? And it wasn't based on predetermined predicaments. It was based on a predetermined plan of God. God had a plan. And for us, that plan is to make fruit from what used to be dead. You were dead in your trespasses. But now, right, now we can have fruit. If your plant's not producing love, joy, or peace, it's time for some miracle grow, right? And Christ gives it out for free to all those who call on the name of the Lord. And just in a moment, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper today during our time of response. And it's pretty self, I'm gonna read a pretty self-explanatory passage of scripture. And then after that, I'm gonna pray. And once I pray, you'll be dismissed to go to the tables and take the Lord's Supper. There's two cups. The bottom cup is the bread. The top cup is the wine. Grab both of them, take them back to your seat, and then you can take the Lord's Supper at will. You may wanna pray or explain to your kids or something, but you just take that. And then Hunter will continue to play and right into our time of response. 1 Corinthians, 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What a great time to read this passage before the fruits of the Spirit. This is, the Lord's Supper should remind us this is why we should be producing these fruits. In the same way, verse 25, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Confess your sins to Christ before you take. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, like against God's word, we wouldn't be judged because we would confess our sins. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Would you stand? Let's pray together. And then right after I say amen in this prayer, you'll be free to go to the Lord's Supper tables and take. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you are the source and the hope and the power in all of our fruits. <laughs> the fruits aren't of the flesh. That, that water flows the other way. These fruits, it says, are fruits of the Spirit. And if we've called on the name of Jesus, we have all of the spirit there is to have. 
which means we have all the fruits available to us we can have. We've got all the seeds in there. We just need to cultivate them and help them grow. God, would you do that in our hearts if there's areas of our life? I know there are, but show us the individual areas of our lives that are off base. Show us, Lord. Help us to not have the arrogance of fruit like, you know, you know, my tomato, you know, I've got more tomatoes on my plant than you. We're, this is about being right with you. We want the proof in our lives, and we believe that if we're born again, we'll show it. And so, God, I pray that you would help those of us who are believers to produce fruit, more fruit, lots of fruit for your name's sake until you return. And for those that haven't called on the name of the Lord, I pray they would understand that there is no greater love than Jesus team didn't fly 10,000 miles around the world to tell them about nobody. We told them about somebody who loves them unconditionally and is like no other God. He's the God who saves. He's the God who's perfect. He's the God who came down to us. And so we want to cry out to you. If you don't know Christ today, cry out to him and say, God, I want to know you. Save me and forgive me. And I promise you he will. He knows your heart. And so when you don't have the words to express to God, just let your heart express it. I pray we would do this now, Lord. Bless the, this time of Lord's Supper. I pray that you'd bless both the body and the bread. The, the body that represents you, the bread that represents your body, and the wine that represents your blood that was poured out for us. I pray that if we have any unconfessed sins, we confess them now so we can be right with you in Jesus' name. sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.